Time once again for the Built by Bama online podcast. Travis Ryer, senior analyst for BOL with you. And a couple of important mile markers coming up in the next week. It's approaching the Memorial Day weekend. That means a couple of things for Crimson Tide fans. You're going to have the summer enrollees for the 2019 football recruiting class making their way to Tuscaloosa in the next five or six days. You also have SEC spring meetings down in Destin, Florida. We'll get into both of those. More so today, though, we're going to get into the former. We're going to get into the summer enrollees who will join the 15 early enrollees from that 2019 class uh, that we saw during spring practice in Tuscaloosa and helping me to do that on this edition of the Built by Bama online podcast. Charlie Potter does an incredibly good job of covering the Crimson Tide for BamaOnline.com. Charlie, how you doing? I'm doing good. Glad to be back on another podcast. Are you over your Game of Thrones hangover? And I guess we need a short, short review, Charlie, of that series finale. I've heard some mixed reviews on it. Some people thought it was fine. Some people thought it was atrocious. Where do you sit on that Game of Thrones Thrones, sit on the throne, I guess, uh, when it comes to GOT and that finale, Charlie? Uh, Well, like... I know a lot of people were mad about it, and I can get that. Um, it didn't end the way a lot of people wanted to, but I think if you've been watching for the last seven seasons, especially early on at the end of the first season, at the end of the third season, kind of the big um, moments from the show, the the ones that kind of punched you in the gut and kind of came out of left field, you, you had to know that this wasn't going to end the way that anybody expected or wanted to. And uh, it wasn't going to be some you know, Disney fairy tale ending. That wasn't how it was going to set up. So being mad about how it ended um, just seems kind of weird. Um, I, I do know that it is it, is, it was rushed. Uh, I think they should have went ten episodes per season like they had been doing. They they cut it to seven last season and then six this. Uh, so they ended with seventy three episodes. I think if they had pushed it to to eighty, they could have fleshed it out a little bit more and, and not made it so rushed and, and kind of awkward. But um, you know, I think with the way that ended, with the way that it ended, I was, I wasn't happy necessarily, but I got it. I understood. I'm satisfied. Um, you know, it it was a great show. It was great to keep up with it on social media. I'll miss that on Sundays, but uh, now I need to go back and, and read the books and get ready for those to come out whenever they're or if they are even going to. Yeah, the books aren't they almost like a set of encyclopedia britannica or something i mean how many books are we talking about here charlie there are five right now and he's going to do seven um but six and seven haven't come out yet so the showrunners basically got a a little taste and he told them how it was going to end and i'm sure they had to do some kind of blood truth for that but um yeah so he has two more to go so there you go uh, charlie potter there with a five-star ranking of rating of Game of Thrones and how that one came to a boil here in the last week. We also have Hank South, recruiting analyst for Bama Online with us as we talk summer enrollees for the 2019 football recruiting class. Hank, how are you doing? I'm doing great. And uh, I, for one, am so happy Game of Thrones is over that I don't have to have my timeline flooded with Game of Thrones on Sunday nights. So, you know, that that's uh, that's made me smile this week. You know, I never watch. I haven't watched. I probably will at some point. That's kind of how I operate with especially the HBO and Showtime stuff. I'm late to the party on a lot of it. I was late to the party on The Wire. 
I was right on point with Sopranos, uh, you know, series like Deadwood, um, kind of the same way with some of the Showtime stuff. I've been late on the Chai, which I really enjoy now. Um, Billions, I'm a big fan of. I was late to the party on that one. So I'll probably be that way at Game of Thrones, too, at some point. But I'm with you. You know, I, I didn't never I never felt like I had to watch Game of Thrones because if I just paid attention <laughs> to my timelines on Sunday and Monday, you know, exactly. the emotional roller coaster that were the reviews and the lead up and everything else, I, I feel like I'm good with it. It's almost like the WWE. You can go two years without watching the WWE and turn it back on and there's John Cena. You know, he never never really left you. Uh, anyway, we want to talk some early enrollees today. What better way to do it than from both a, pers- uh, a perspective of recruiting, which Hank South, obviously, is a huge part of what we do at BamaOnline.com in that area. And then, of course, the team perspective, which Charlie Potter uh, does so well for us there at BOL. So with that, guys, and we need to preface this first with Hank, uh, 15 early enrollees, Hank. 12 summer enrollees that adds up even with my public school background to 27 (laughs) signees when in fact you're allowed 25 but there are stipulations right in which you can oversign to an extent uh and make the math work that's right and you know if you you tried to fully understand like the ncaa bylaws it's kind of similar to reading tax code i mean the, the simplest way to to look at it is a full class is 25. That's that's the, the signee limit, the initial counter limit. You're able to go over it when you sign if you have spots open from previous classes that you didn't fill that full 25, if that makes sense. So if you look back at 2018, Alabama didn't sign a full class um, in, in the first year that it didn't sign the number one class um, since 2011. So uh, they had a few extra spots, um, and that, that allowed them to go over that 25 mark. Um, you know, whether that will be be the case come 2020, that kind of remains to be seen, whether Bama brings in a grad transfer or if another, uh, you know, if something happens this summer um, out of the transfer portal. So, uh, yeah, so th- there is still, you know, that, that flexibility for staffs to go over that 25 mark. I know there was a lot of talk about the new NCAA rules that came out a, a year or so ago that said, oh, 25 is the strict cap. You can't go over it. But that's that's still not the case. You, you can go over it. Um, obviously to a certain limit um, as to how many spots you have um, from previous years and, and spots you can back count those uh, additional scholarships to. Yeah, and I believe the SEC has a conference rule that regardless, you can't bring in more than 28 in any one year. So Alabama at 27, uh, just under that limit on the conference level. So let's get into it, guys. Let's talk about these summer enrollees i know charlie you've been in contact with a lot of these guys i believe marcus banks the corner from texas most recently uh i'm I'm guessing these guys are as a whole pretty fired up about getting on campus and when will that really start to take place the arrival of these guys charlie yeah most of them are set to move in monday may 27th and some of them are going to get on campus a little early but moving into the dorms officially and and getting everything set up basically the paperwork aspect of it will be the 27th and yeah um you know i've talked to i think seven guys so far and all of them are super excited they've been in constant contact with the coaches and just trying to stay in shape because you know scott cochran is is you know wringing his hands and ready to get a hold of them and condition them this summer and they're going to be in for it but uh, they're ready to get to work. Um, you know, I know 
you expect them to, to say all the right things, but they're saying them. And um, it's been it's been a lot of fun to just to catch up with these guys and see what their mindset are. Um, yeah, Marcus Banks, uh, he was a great interview. They, they've all been great. I still have a couple more to come this week, but um, you know, most of them have their their roommates picked out. Um, you know, they've they've been in in contact with these new coaches. Um, you have several new assistants on this on this staff they have to get acquainted with, and they've been doing that, and they've had nothing but good things to say about them. And um, yeah, I, I think that once they get there on Monday, kind of get their feet wet with being on a college campus and away from home, really for the first time for an extended extended period of time. I start diving in that playbook and, and get acclimated to the, the weight room and things like that. I think they'll become comfortable, but it's going to be an adjustment process. That's for sure. Yeah. And let's start with Marcus Banks and those defensive backs, because essentially Alabama has a whole nother secondary coming in in the next week. When you talk about the summer enrollees with a couple of safety types, I guess, and a couple of corner types. And let's go to Hank and start with Jordan Battle, because uh, I don't know if people realize, Hank, that based on what I'm looking at right now in the 247sports.com database, Jordan Battle looks to be, in terms of composite ranking, the most highly coveted defensive back that Alabama signed in this most recent period. Yeah, and you know, coming out of a, a powerhouse program like St. Thomas Aquinas out of South Florida, he's one of two signees Bama went down there and got, the other being Braylon Ingram, uh, the defensive end. Uh, but yeah, he's rated the number two safety in the country, uh, number 43 overall player, regardless of position, according to the 24-7 sports composite. 24-7 sports isn't that far off from that either, having him the number five safety and number 54 overall player. Uh, but a really big get, a guy that was committed to Ohio State um, uh, prior to changing his mind and flipping to Alabama during the early signing period. Uh, you know, the Urban Meyer fallout with that Zach Smith scandal and all that stuff helped Alabama there. It, it kind of, uh, you know, made him question Ohio State a little bit more. And then once, obviously, Urban Meyer said he was stepping down after the season, that kind of sealed the deal um, as far as a flip goes. And, and Jordan Battle simply just signed with Alabama on the morning of the early signing period. He didn't make an announcement. He didn't do any of that. He just he just signed with Alabama instead of Ohio State. So about as low-key of a flip as, uh, as one can make, um, but not a low-key player. I mean, Jordan Battle is a beast. Um, you know, he could play. He's one of those guys, one of those versatile guys. He, you know, he prefers cornerback. Uh, but obviously we have him ranked as a safety. Maybe that's where he contributes. But he, he can be one of these guys that, you know, once he gets into camp and, and, and kind of gets into the program and develops a little bit, he could be a guy we're talking about moving around in the secondary, uh, you know, further down the line in his career. So uh, really big pickup out of South Florida and a guy that um, the competition he plays down there as well, you know, will, will prepare him similar to how it did with Josh Job and, and Patrick Sertain as far as, you know, he's not going to have as much of a learning curve as, as others might um having come out of South Florida. Yeah, we talked about this a couple of days ago on the podcast featuring Tyu Jones-Bell, the wide receiver commitment of the last few days to Alabama. I love all those guys, especially from programs like St. Thomas Aquinas, because it essentially emulates a Power 5 conference uh, team as much as you possibly can, a program as much as you possibly can at the prep level. I mean, you've seen throughout the years. I believe the Boses were they St. Thomas mm -hmm. Aquinas guys? They were. They yeah, were. both of the Boses. Uh, I mean, this is the level of talent we're talking about. And not just talent, but polished in many more ways uh, than the typical high school 
player that you're going to get when they come from St. Thomas Aquinas down in Fort Lauderdale. Well, let's stick with safety types anyway. As you noted, uh, there is a chance that Battle plays multiple spots, which Alabama, as we know, loves that versatility uh, in the defensive backfield. What about DeMarco Ellums? We talked about Ellums a couple of days ago or on our last pod and versatility, another word that we talked about. But this is a guy that looks more like the prototype, maybe strong safety that you could get up closer to the line of scrimmage. How did his recruitment play out? I guess it was a good bit of familiarity given that he comes from DeMatha Catholic up there in the DC area. Yeah. And you know, uh, with with DeMarco Helms, it was all about Mike Loxley originally. Uh, you know, he, he he got the offer in the spring of 2018, took an official visit in June, and made up his mind on the trip before even going home. Um, and, and there was a lot of talk late, obviously after Mike Loxley was named head coach at Maryland, was you know, DeMarco Helms is going to flip and sign with Maryland, go go play for him uh, in his hometown team or his uh, his home area team. Um, but um, and, and that kind that talk even kind of got a little bit louder when the when the Matthew Catholic head coach Elijah Brooks took a job on Mike Loxley's staff. Um, a lot of people just thought, you know, he was gone, um, but he did an interview in early December saying, you know, now Bama's the school I committed to. That's the school I'm going to sign with. Um, and, and he didn't flip and he signed early and kind of put all those rumors to bed. Um, so it, it was kind of an interesting recruitment to follow late. He didn't really make, um, he, he committed in June, didn't take any other visits. And then, uh, you know, stuff started kind of flying around in December with Mike Loxley. But, um, you know, Mike Loxley didn't really pursue him. Um, I, th- I think Tim Watts, our, our uh, BOL publisher, kind of made a note on that around the early signing period that, uh, you know, he, he didn't really he wasn't going to go try to take guys out of Bama's class um, during that early signing period. So uh, Mike Loxley was a big part of his recruitment, but, you know, he was firm with his commitment and, and honored that um, during the early signing period. So what about it, Charlie? We look at Jordan Battle, and if we take him as a safety type, and you look at his tape, and you see all the playmaking ability, and you look at DeMarco Hellams, and you slot these guys into Alabama's current situation, again, if we take Battle as a safety, and we know the competition that there is for that spot opposite Xavier McKinney heading into the summer months, how do you sort of envision both these guys as they move into that into that defensive backfield. Well, one of the things that Nick Saban made note of in the spring is that safety is a position that needed depth. Um, you, you look out there uh, during practice, and of course you have Xavier McKinney and, and Jared Maiden and, and Shaheem Carter practice with the safeties, even though he was a little bit limited by a sports hernia injury. Uh, then you go and you have Daniel Wright, who's back on the field after missing most of last season with a shoulder issue, and, and Eddie Smith, and, and that's it. Um, so you had basically four, maybe three and a half healthy safeties in the spring. So yeah, it, it was a position to need to fill. And I think both of those guys can do that. A guy like Brandon Turnage can do that as well. They have some versatility uh, with the guys that they signed and, and DeMarco Helen's talking to him. Um, that's, that's really one of the things I think Charles Kelly and, and uh, Nick Saban, and even Carl Scott have talked to these guys about is how they can move around and play different positions. Um, I think one of the big things is getting acclimated with Charles Kelly because you know, Hank just uh, mentioned how much these guys were familiar with their past recruiters, especially a guy like Helms with Michael Oxley. And, and Kelly's saying, saying all the right things. He's mentioned guys like Jalen Ramsey and Derwin James, players that he's coached before that have been successful as kind of those Swiss Army knives to the secondary, and now they're succeeding in the NFL. And, and these guys kind of are cut from that same cloth and I think can do that. So 
I think safety just in general is a position that um, these guys can maybe come in and, and see the field immediately, whether it's a res- as a reserve or you never know what's going to happen with a money position. But um, I think they know that they're also going to have to wear many hats and be able to learn positions like star and money, maybe even corner, uh, because we saw guys like Aminka Fitzpatrick, even a Ronnie Harrison do that and see the field as true freshmen. So uh, it'll be interesting to see once we get out there for, for fall camp here in a couple months. Uh, where these guys line up, but safety is definitely a place where they're needed, and uh, depth is a concern for Alabama entering the offseason. As for corner types, Hank, Brandon Turnage, who Charlie mentioned there uh, in his comments, Alabama goes into Oxford, Mississippi, right into the backyard of the Rebels. You don't see that all that often, although I believe it's the same place where Alabama at one time plucked Justin Woodall, a former safety for the Crimson Tide, out of Lafayette High School there for Brandon Turnage. And then Marcus Banks from Houston, Texas, an area that we know Alabama's had a good bit of success in under Nick Saban. Uh, Talk about how those two guys came to be as far as Alabama's 2019 class is concerned. Yeah, uh, Brandon Turnage uh, was one of the longest standing Alabama commits. He, he, He joined the class right after the early signing period back in December of 2017 made an early commitment and it seemed like, you know, right off the bat, there was already talk he was going to flip. You know, he's from Oxford, Mississippi. He's going to Ole Miss. He's not, he's not going to end up at Alabama. And, you know, to, to Brandon Turner, just credit the whole, throughout the whole year, he, he was saying, no, I'm, I'm firm with Bama. Uh, we're good. Uh, he kept, I think last summer he was saying he feels even better about Bama than he did back when he committed. So that he never really, you know, cast any doubt as to what, where he was going to end up. Uh, he did take some visits. You know, he lived in he lived in Oxford. He went to a few Ole Miss games. He was on their campus a few times. Uh, I, I want to say he he visited a few other schools like Georgia and Auburn throughout the process. But when it came down to it, you know, his mind was made up. Uh, they were similar to Helms. You know, there was a lot of speculation late in the process. Of Brandon Turnage was, you know, was he going to flip? Was he going to stay home? Um, in the end, um, he kind of put all that to bed and signed with Bama early, um, and never really once wavered. Um, from the program and his commitment. Um, as far as Marcus Banks, he was also kind of an interesting recruitment. He was committed to LSU at one point um, this time last year. I think he committed in the summer, uh, around this time last year, uh, but didn't really shut things down. He, he had considered Alabama and Texas as two other schools he really liked, Texas A&M as well. Uh, he got back on campus in Tuscaloosa for the Texas A&M game uh, back last September and then returned for the Iron Bowl uh and at that point, when he came back for the Iron Bowl, he'd already decommitted from LSU. So it was clear he was kind of uh, taking a look at everything, evaluating his options. But it was clear kind of come December that he was trending to Alabama. And uh, kind of an interesting thing Marcus Banks did, he, he waited to announce his decision until the All-American Bowl in San Antonio on NBC so he could do it on live live on television. He had actually signed early secretly. So th- there's this new uh, <laughs> there's this new fad about signing but not saying anything. We've seen a few guys do it. I think Jadon Hazelwood did it with Oklahoma as well. Uh, but you sign early, don't say anything. The school doesn't announce it. Uh, and then you can announce it uh, later on down the line. So there, there's ways you could tell if guys have done that, whether they still take visits or not. You know, that I think that's still something we're all kind of figuring out with the early signing period, only two years old. Uh, but that was certainly kind of an interesting uh, uh, happening with Marcus Banks's recruitment. Charlie, what about it from a corner slash star perspective? I know, again, you can find Charlie's update on Marcus Banks uh, and, and a lot of these guys uh, again, on the website, BamaOnline.com, fit 
paint the picture for us of corner and star and and how a couple of new guys might be able to impact those those positions. Yeah, Alabama is going to return their top two corners in Trayvon Diggs and, and Patrick Sertan, but uh, they're going to have some options because those guys can move around. We saw Sertan play star uh, in the spring game. We saw Josh Job play uh, corner with the one. So those three guys are, um, you know, you're, you're going to be hard pressed to, to knock them out of the pecking order at the top. Um, we've seen Shaheem Carter at star. He can move around and can play basically every position in the secondary. He's going to be a factor there. Uh, you have guys like um, Nigel Knight who's back. You have Jalen Armour Davis who's coming off of an injury uh, but should be able to perform in his first healthy year. And then you also have a, a freshman that was on campus in the spring in Scooby Carter uh, who did some good things. He probably needs to add some weight. But I think that could be the same or the same could be said for a lot of these guys coming in, including Marcus Banks. Um, you know, on, on 24-7 sports, he's listed at 166 pounds. He said he's added 10 pounds and is up to 176 and continuing to climb with that. And he's a guy that, you know, expects to come in and play. Um, and you're just asking a lot of these guys, you know, to, to reflect on, on their decisions, having a few months uh, after signing to, to really look back and, and to think back on why it was Alabama that got their commitment and their signature on signing day. And, and he had one of the best answers, talking about how, you know, He's had conversations with recruits about, um, you know, why they didn't choose Alabama. It was because they didn't think that they would play there. And, you know, that's okay because it's obviously not for everyone. But whenever he looked at everything and talked about how he had to have a good chance to play, how Alabama's the top program in the country, how he's um, going to be able to be coached by Nick Saban, how they have first-round draft picks, top draft picks every year, he didn't really have a reason – why not to choose Alabama? And I think that's one of the more interesting things to hear from a kid is they always list the, the reasons why, and, and they have other reasons to pick other schools, but there wasn't a reason not to pick Alabama. So I think Marcus Banks and a lot of these guys are coming in with the right mindset. It's just going to be interesting to see what happens uh, in the competition at corners because, you know, like I mentioned uh, at the top of this, that Trayvon Diggs, Patrick Sertan, Josh Job, those are going to be the guys that are going to be competing for those minutes and it's going to be tough to knock them out unless somebody is playing in the slot somewhere or they move things around or, you know, God forbid there's an injury. So corner um, is definitely more stacked than safety. But uh, I think these guys, you know, Marcus Banks, Brandon Turnage, even Scooby Carter coming back after spring, they're going to be hungry to compete and it'll be fun to watch. Yeah, I think they're building a very nice situation in that secondary. And I really think a guy like Jordan Battle is going to impact that secondary in 2019 in some form or fashion. With that versatility, whether it's a top three safety role, whether uh, he jumps into somehow that corner mix or the sub packages, uh, it's tough to watch Jordan Battle on tape and not think with that playmaking ability that he's not going to have a role of some sort early on in his Alabama career and the measurables. All these guys that we're talking about, six foot, six foot one, uh, battle listed at 187. As Charlie said, uh, banks up to 176 now. Turnage listed at 185, six foot one. Helms, six foot one, 203 pounds. They checked those critical factor boxes that Nick Saban is always looking at and looking for when it comes to measurables. Guys, let's move up front on the defensive side of the ball. We've alluded to the incoming help that's going to supplement what we already saw with the early enrollees that were here for spring practice with Justin Aboigby, um, 
Antonio Alfano, and of course, DJ Dale making big, big waves up front at that nose tackle position. But let's start with a big man, Ishmael Softshire, Hank. Uh, This was a very intriguing recruitment. It was one of those hotly contested Alabama LSU deals, as you might expect, given that Softshire was an in-state prospect for the Tigers. Uh, There was talk anyway, Hank, that this one was kind of back and forth. Was that really the case or was, you know, was Alabama in pretty good shape all along with the big man? You know, I I think Bama was in pretty good shape all along. Obviously you look back to, uh, to the fall, I want to say of 2017 uh, or this at some point back then, and he put out a top 12 and Alabama wasn't in it. I think a lot of people were, were a little confused by that, but uh, not six or seven months later, he, we, we caught up with him and he said, no, Alabama is a school I'm, I'm considering. And, and from then on, it was kind of just a push Alabama made and, and they were kind of just right there with LSU uh, for the remainder of his recruitment. Uh, and then kind of last fall, I, I think it became more and more clear. That's when I put in a, a crystal ball prediction for Alabama for Ishmael Sopcher. Uh, it just seemed like it was one of those recruitments that was trending in Alabama's favor. And I think one of the big defining moments of his recruitment, and I could be wrong, but this just the feeling I got talking to his camp, uh, was when he was in Baton Rouge last November watching uh, the Alabama game and, and watching Quentin Williams and watching Bama shut out LSU. Um, I, I think that was kind of one of those turning point moments where I think Bama really took hold of his recruitment, and it was on a visit to LSU. Like <laughs> Bama's on a away team impressing recruits um, and, and kind of helping their chances for him. And then um, obviously, you know, I, I think LSU was a school. He had, he had a lot of in-state pressure to stay there, and it was a school he considered until the very end, obviously, with his brother Rodney Sopcher holding an offer from LSU as well. Um, but in the end, you know, just uh, the relationship he had with Pete Golding, um, Sam Petito, uh, one of the personnel directors on the staff, who was from Amit, Louisiana, uh, they had that bond there. Um, I believe he played with Ishmael Sopcher's dad, if I'm not mistaken, um, at, in high school or at, at some level. So there was that longstanding relationship there as well. Um, and, and then I, I thought what was really cool when Nick Saban, what Nick Saban said at the signing day press conference was talking about how they got Ishmael Sopcher there, they, they, they challenged him and, and he accepted the challenge of coming in there and, and developing and, uh, and getting better. So um, that was kind of how his recruitment played out, um, committing to Alabama over LSU on National Signing Day. One of these, one of the multiple LSU locks, it seems, that have ended up at Alabama in the last few cycles, whether it be Patrick Sertain, Dylan Moses, uh, Devontae Smith, these guys that everyone thinks are going to LSU early and then they end up going to Alabama. So I'm sure we'll see some more here um, in the next couple of years. Yeah, it almost sounded like Orgeron was speaking directly to Ishmael Softshire in the post-game press conference when Alabama shut out LSU in Baton Rouge. If you remember, O made specific reference to the lines of scrimmage, which, as mm-hmm. you just told us, Hank, was the very same weekend <laughs> that Ishmael Softshire was on an official visit. So even with all of that, Softshire, the big man, listed at 6'3 and a half, 334 pounds, ends up at the University of Alabama. Charlie, when we talk measurables, the ones I just gave you, that sounds like a nose tackle, doesn't it? So how does that sort of work with what we've seen from Alabama, especially with Dale making the impact that he has early? Yeah, it just creates competition. Um, you know, DJ Dale came in, I think, was one of the big surprises of the spring and, uh, you know, emerged as the number one nose tackle, kind of surpassing Fidarian Mathis. I think there's still going to be some competition there in the fall, especially when these young guys get on, on campus. But I think Ish is a guy that can, can make some waves. Um, you know, we've seen that they're not afraid to put freshmen in there. 
Um, DJ Dell's obviously the latest example of that. Deron Payne came in as a true freshman uh, and played in the middle of that offensive line between our defensive line uh, between experienced players and, and made an impact as a as a true freshman. So uh, it's not out of the ordinary. I think a lot of these young guys that are still coming in can make an impact. Um, I talked with Byron Young. I'm going to have a story up on him tomorrow. And he talked about how motivated he was by seeing what DJ Dell did in the spring and how he kind of got on campus, got his feet wet, you know, learned the system, and then was able to play with the ones. And I think a lot of those guys that are coming in are going to be motivated by that. They've seen the blueprint and what they have to do. And um, it's just a matter of, of competing and, and playing the same level, level that DJ Dell did in the spring. And uh, I think this this group of defensive linemen, which is six total with three early enrollees and three summer enrollees, it's really going to help this defensive line because in the past couple of years, depth has been an issue and a concern there. And, and now you have these young guys that are coming in and showing they're willing to, to put in the work and, and are uh, able and, and capable of, of contributing first team reps. So uh, I think with all of these guys that are coming in, it, it's really big for Alabama that they're um, you know, taking this mindset, taking this approach. And I think if, if guys like Ish, Byron Young, and, and Braylon Ingram can come in and do what a guy like DJ Dale did, uh, Alabama's going to be better off for it. Yeah, I tell you this, Hank, if there's one thing more difficult than going right into Oxford and taking a defensive back out of the Ole Miss Rebels' backyard, it's going into the state of Mississippi, period, and taking a highly, highly touted defensive lineman. Alabama was able to do that in the past. It wasn't able to do it. Uh, with guys like Jeffrey Simmons, uh, with guys like Benito Jones. But in this instance, with Byron Young uh, being able to go in there into Laurel, Mississippi, you've talked about him. You've been around him at All-Star Games. Uh, just kind of how that went down. It looked like Alabama had to withstand some official visits late, didn't they? Yeah, you know, it, it's funny. You look at it and say, oh, they got him out of Ole Miss or Mississippi State's backyard. He actually, Laurel, Mississippi is actually closer to Tuscaloosa than either of those places. So, you know, <laughs> but no, it's funny because uh, he actually had easier access to Tuscaloosa than he could uh, get to either of those schools. But you're right that Mississippi State and Ole Miss pushed until the very end. Uh, you know, he, he, a lot of people raised their eyebrows when Byron Young didn't sign early. You know, he was saying all the right things throughout the fall. Uh, he was firmly committed. He was, uh, he was locked in with Alabama. That's where he wanted to go, but he was still taking these visits. He took an official visit to Florida. Um, he was at Ole Miss for an unofficial visit. He went to some Mississippi State games. Um, but if you go back and look what he said when he committed, he said he was still going to take visits. Uh, the day he committed, he said he was still going to take visits, but he knew where he wanted to end up um, uh, in, in the end. And uh, yeah, so he, he didn't sign early, took some visits in, in, in January, but uh, ultimately uh, stayed with his commitment and also a late push from LSU as well. There was a lot of schools in play for Byron Young in the end. Um, you know, I, I think maybe the decision was, uh, I, I think he was maybe a little bit more torn than maybe we had anticipated towards the end, but uh, he kind of, he, he stuck with it and signed with Alabama. And I think adding Brian Baker from the Mississippi State staff probably helped that a little bit or put his mind to ease a little bit more, um, especially with, with, with the staff turnover um, that, that Alabama experienced in January. So, you know, he stayed true to it. Um, he never wavered uh, outside of taking visits. Uh, he never decommitted or anything and, and stuck with Bama. So big get out of the state, um, especially like you said, for that highly rated of a prospect um, to pull him out of, out of Mississippi is a big deal. Charlie, as we've seen, once these guys get here that are in that 6'3", 290-pound range, it can go either way. It can go both ways. You got guys that will play some end uh, in, in a base defense that really Alabama doesn't 
have much use for anymore, given the way offenses uh, go about things now. Uh, but it looks like Byron Young can play some in. It looks like he can play inside uh, in some situations. And also Braylon Ingram. Uh, a teammate of Jordan Battles down there at St. Thomas Aquinas that's on the way, 6'4", 260 pounds, maybe more of a LeBron Ray look to him. But speak to how you envision uh, these guys when you look at those multiple roles that Alabama likes them to play nowadays sort of fit into that mix. Hey, you mentioned Ingram, and the first player that came to mind was LeBron Ray whenever you, you brought him up. And it's it's just – Defenses are different, especially along the defensive line. I think Quinnen Williams kind of broke the mold for that. Um, you know, we're sitting here at this time last year and even before, and he's not even on anybody's radar to start at nose tackle. And he goes out, does it, and is arguably the best player in all of college football last year and is a, is a top three pick in the NFL draft. So I think the way that you look at defensive linemen at Alabama is, is changing. It has changed. It's going to change. And a guy like Byron Young can move all along the defensive line. I think uh, Ingram is a guy that's better suited to end. And, yeah, he's going to be very similar to what we've seen from LeBron Ray, at least in terms of size and measurables and potential impact. But a guy like Byron Young, um, it'll be really interesting to see what happens with him because uh, with what Quinnen did on the inside and what he did as a reserve at defensive end uh, before this past season, uh, I think is what uh, Byron Young can bring to the table. So there's there's options. Um, you know, like I said, the defensive line is changing. Like you said, the, the base defense where you have a true nose guard um, in the middle of that defensive line is we don't see that much anymore. Uh, so with these young guys, uh, they're going to have to, a lot like the guys in the secondary, be able to put on different hats and, and be versatile in order to get on the field. And I think a lot of them are going to have that opportunity. Yeah, the biggest winner in all this, Brian Baker, the new <laughs> defensive line coach, because in terms of motivating guys, no problem. Not with the depth. With these six defensive linemen that Alabama have added, and we saw three of them in the spring practice portion of the calendar year. None of those guys are misses. I think we saw enough even in 15 practices in an 8A game to know that they hit on a Boyd Alfano, and Dale. And when you look at the potential of these next three that are coming in here in Softshire, Young, and Ingram, Wow, what a great spot to be in. If I was Brian Baker, I might have left Mississippi State for 50 grand a year to have this sort of defensive line room uh, that he's about to have over there off Bryant Drive. Hey, uh, let's talk linebackers right now. And, you know, Hank, you mentioned it a minute ago. It seems like whenever Alabama really wants a guy in Louisiana, Alabama really gets that guy out of Louisiana. The latest being Christian Harris of University Lab, a school that's been good to Alabama in the past. Uh, is it just more of the same uh, when it when it comes to going into right into Baton Rouge for crying out loud, Hank, and, and taking a talent, a four star player like Christian Harris out of there and give us a little bit of background on him as a player, because it's pretty interesting when you look at his measurables and then you consider what he did at the high school level. Yeah, you know, uh, and credit to Pete Golding on this one. Uh, and I think we talked about him in our last podcast about just the connections he has in Louisiana and, and obviously in Baton Rouge and Southern Louisiana um, and, and be able to kind of connect with these guys. He's from, he's from Louisiana. So he kind of has that connection just going for him right out of the gate. Um, and then to really, you know, just follow up with these guys and, and build that relationship, get to know their families. Um, he, he's done a really good job for Bama there uh, with Ishmael Sopcher, um, with Christian Harris, with Eddie Smith back in, in 2018 um, and, and so on. So uh, Christian Harris, he was, he was an interesting case. He, you know, he got an offer 
early on in 2018, named Bama his leader. Um, then he kind of just blew up. You know, you get that Bama offer, everyone comes offering. And that's kind of what happened with Christian Harris. And um, throughout it all, it looked like Bama was still trending for him, still the favorite. Um, he had visited a handful of times throughout the spring. And then come summertime, uh, he went out to Texas A&M, went to one of their barbecues, kind of started feeling the Aggies a little bit and, and ended up committing there in August. Um, and we, we kind of put him on the back burner. We didn't really think much about or talk much about Christian Harris for the rest of the fall, uh, thinking, you know, he, he was saying he was firmly committed to Texas A&M. Uh, he, he seemed pretty locked in with that decision until he took an official visit to Alabama for the Iron Bowl, at which point, you know, people were starting to raise their eyebrows a little bit. I know Aggies fans started to get a little bit nervous, especially with what they were seeing, what was happening with, with Scooby Carter and his commitment to Texas A&M. Uh, and he, he ended up flipping um, shortly after that official visit for the Iron Bowl. So uh, a big get, a guy that, you know, we've talked about it a number of times that that's never played inside linebacker. So, you know, once he gets to Tuscaloosa, that's going to uh, be a position he's going to have to learn and, and uh, get used to. But has all the athletic ability. He's got the size. He's got the physicality. He got everything you need in an inside linebacker. It's just about learning the position now. And and uh, he trusts him. And I know uh, Charlie did a story on him, but he trusts in Pete Golding to kind of teach him to do that. So talk about the inside linebacker spots, Charlie, because we saw the fifth-year senior, Josh McMillan, pretty much go wire to wire opposite another Baton Rouge guy in Dylan Moses. Your expectation for Harris jumping into that spot, and let's also shift outside because I'm guessing King Mwakuta, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Maybe Hank can help me with that. Um, he's, <laughs> I'm okay. I'm in the neighborhood. You're fine. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm proud of that because yeah. look, I, I'm someone who throughout my lifetimes had their last name just butchered. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, I'll take that as a W with King. We'll probably just go the tour route with King and call him yep. King yep. from this point right. forward. I think Charlie's in agreement there, but I, 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 he's listed as a weak side defensive end. Uh, guys, I'm guessing that, that King's going to get that first look at the Jack linebacker spot. Is, is that right, Charlie? Yeah, he said he's going to be playing outside linebacker, and he had a funny story talking about how um, you know all of his recruiters were gone. He was first recruited by Derek Ansley, who's now with the Oakland Raiders. Uh, then it turned to Josh Gaddis, who's now at Michigan. And then, obviously, his uh, position coach was Tosh Lupoy, who had a hand in his recruitment, and he's with the Cleveland Browns. So, um, you know, throughout the, the whole recruiting process, he was committed to Alabama, but he had heard a lot from South Sanceri at Florida, how he needed him to take a visit down there. And he kept saying, no, no, I'm committed to Bama. And, um, you know, he joked that Sal told him, well, if I can't get you to come to Florida, I'm just going to come to Alabama and join you. And that's what he's going to do. And uh, he's going to be you know, starting his career at outside linebacker, which makes a lot of sense. He's a he's a long uh, backer. King is. And um, I think he can provide some some depth there along with Kevin Harris, the other uh, freshman that was already on campus. But in terms of. Of Christian Harris, um, you know, he's a guy that is going to provide um, really good depth for the inside linebacker position, which is a spot where, you know, we talked about was a concern all spring long. Um, obviously, you're not concerned at all what you have in Dylan Moses. He's a guy that's going to be, you know, up for the Buckus Award. He's already a, um, on the watch list for the Watt Impact Trophy. Uh, he's a guy that's probably going to be a, a first-round draft pick at the end of the season. So you know what you're going to get in Moses. I thought Josh McMillan. Did a lot of good things in the spring, uh, and you know he didn't do anything to hurt himself in terms of where he is in the pecking order and on the depth chart. Um, even though Nick Saban says there isn't a depth chart, but uh, you know those young guys, guys like Markel Benton, Jalen Moody, Ali Caho, even Shane Lee, who had a good spring, 
um, they're going to need to take that next step in the in the offseason because Christian Harris is coming in ready to learn. Uh, he said he's putting all his trust in, in Pete Golding. And, um, you know, he's he's looking to learn as much as he can from from Dylan Moses, not only from from the position standpoint, but from dealing people back home. I mean, Dylan's a guy that was once committed to LSU and then flipped to Alabama. You know, Christian never committed to to LSU, which is probably better off for him, but he's learning everything he can from Dylan Moses on and off the field, and, and that's a good person to emulate. And I think he he adds much needed depth there, and uh, we'll see if any of those younger guys that I mentioned can take that next step, because if not, I think Christian, uh, if he can come in, learn the position, because he's going to be playing inside linebacker for the first time ever. Uh, if he can do that, then he's going to have an opportunity this fall. There's that four-game redshirt rule that could really come in handy for some guys that maybe are more on the developmental side. That's not to say that Christian Harris isn't an elite athlete. It's to say that he's stepping into a role that takes even experienced linebackers at the prep level, some time to not only learn but get comfortable enough with to take what they learn in the meeting room, put it into play on the field, and make plays simultaneously. Sometimes young guys, when you're going through that learning process, they kind of get gummed up, and they're not able to unleash their full athletic potential in the process. So absolutely, with Christian Harris, it'll be very interesting to see how quickly he can get up to speed from that standpoint. Let's move to the offensive side of the ball as we wrap up. Another edition of the Built by Bama online podcast. Hank, I got to ask you, there's been a lot of pipelines built during the Nick Saban era and really throughout the the history of the Alabama football program. But Chicago, Illinois hadn't been one of them, Hank. So tell us, how does Jalil Billingsley go from Chicago, Illinois to Tuscaloosa, Alabama? Yeah, and I encourage you all to uh, go check out Charlie's story on Jaleel Billingsley. He's actually, he has uh, ties to the state of Alabama. His, his grandma uh, is from Selma or is from, from Selma. So uh, he's not totally a stranger to, to the Yellowhammer state, but uh, yeah, you, you don't see Nick Saban going up to the Windy City much uh, to recruit guys. And, and Jaleel Billingsley was certainly uh, worth doing that for uh, four-star tight end out of Phillips Academy. Uh, and I know you wrote about it, Travis. He's more of kind of a, a big wide receiver at the, at the prep level. So obviously one of these guys that maybe uh, will have to develop a little bit, uh, but a big time playmaker that maybe didn't get enough credit for his ability uh, being in Chicago. You know, we don't have as many recruiting analysts up in that area that are going to those games every Friday night or uh, every weekend and seeing these guys. Um, so maybe, maybe a little bit of a disadvantage there for Jaleel Billingsley as far as getting uh, the proper pub. But, you know, he, he got the offers uh, this time last year. He was trending to Florida. He, he was getting set to commit to Florida, it appeared. And then uh, I think it was this week, <laughs> this time last year, that Alabama offered him, um, set up an official visit with him in, uh, in June. And, uh, you know, the rest was history there. And, and uh, he was one of these, these rare recruitments we see now where you make a commitment, you stick with it, you don't take any other visits, and you sign. And, and that's what Jaleel Billingsley did. Um, and, and certainly, you know, a position of need, especially now when you look at what happened with Irv Smith Jr. going to the NFL and then obviously Hale Hennage is leaving. Um, um, out of eligibility. So certainly a guy that can come in and contribute early um, if his development goes um, as everyone hopes it will. Yeah, you watched a little Billingsley on tape and he sort of looks like another Chicago native, Laquan Treadwell. If you remember Treadwell from Ole Miss a few years back, he too was from the Chicagoland area, was a big time player on the prep level. And that's sort of how Billingsley, at least in what I saw on tape, 
was used at Phillips Academy up there uh, in the Windy City. So, Charlie, uh, with the tight end situation being what it is right now, and in the spring we saw it was a thin situation because of some injuries and some uncertainty uh, as it relates to the eligibility status of at least one player. How does this work with Jalil Billingsley? Um, as, as Hank said, you, you've got a piece up on him. You've talked to him. I guess what I look at is he's 216, or that's what he's listed at in the in the uh, 247sports.com database. Is, is that an area you think he's got to continue to make some progress in from a strength and bulk standpoint? Definitely, yeah. Um, he's going to need to add some weight. and But he is walking into a situation where Alabama needs players at tight end. Um, Miller Forrestal is back and going to be the starter. We saw in the spring – um, guys like Major Tennyson and Kedrick James were injured. We know now that Kedrick James is going to have to miss the first four games of the season because of the suspension from last year. Um, so Alabama was you know, mixing people around, bringing walk-ons uh, up the pecking order. We saw Cameron Latou, the outside linebacker, um, you know, work with the ones in the A-Day game. We saw um, Giles Amos, the, the walk-on, get a lot of reps with the ones and twos throughout the spring, whether it's the scrimmages or the A-Day game. Uh, so it's a position of need. Um, you know, they have a young guy like Michael Parker who's still needing to add some weight. So if, if Billingsley can come in and then hit the weight room, um, you know, live with um, or live in the cafeteria eating and, and adding some, some good weight, then he's going to have a chance because it's a position of need. Uh, Nick Saban said as much uh, in the spring, and you're going to have some, some opportunities. He's a guy that's coming in expecting to make an immediate impact. Um, he saw what Herb Smith Junior did last year, and he's looking at his chops at that. And I think Jeff Banks is saying all the right things to him and, and telling him how much of a need he is. So uh, if he puts the work in in the offseason, then, yeah, I think he's a guy that could be uh, one of the top contributors of this freshman class. And, and you mentioned how um, you know Alabama doesn't really go up in Chicago and get recruits. According to, to Alabama from their release on, on signing day in the early signing period, um, you know, he's the first player from the state of Illinois uh, to sign with Alabama since 1997. So it's been a minute, but he breaks that tie. And, and now, now I, I know now that he's uh, on campus. He's ready to, to continue to use his grandmother's motivation. She passed away not too long ago. And um, with her having ties to the state, I know he's wanting to make her proud. A guy that sort of reminds me of Miller Forstall in 2016, because Forstall and Irv Smith, they came in together in that same class, and it was actually Forrestall that was the guy that saw the field first. Now, I believe Forrestall had the advantage of being an early enrollee. Irv came in in the summer. Um, but, you know, Miller Forrestall did enough in that first, you know, sort of offseason and summer that he was on campus that he was the guy that was out there first against USC in the 2016 season opener. So who knows, as, as Charlie said, you know, we'll find out soon enough in terms of Billingsley and his viability as an instant impact at the tight end position. Guys, we're wrapping with the running backs. Probably don't need to spend too much time on this one because we talked in depth about that situation involving Trey Sanders and also Keelan Robinson coming in. Uh, Keelan Robinson sort of reminds me of Cyrus Jones from a few years back in a couple of different ways. Measurables are similar. You know, Cyrus Jones was thought of as maybe more of an offensive playmaker coming to Alabama, who, like Keelan Robinson, did his prep work up there in that Baltimore, D.C. area. Ultimately, Cyrus Jones ended up, as we know, as a very good corner and as a very good return man for the Crimson Tide. Uh, but, Hank, uh, real quick, Keelan Robinson, uh, the attractive 
nature that, that Alabama had to him and, and sort of how it played out with his recruitment. Yeah, a lot of these guys we're talking about, it kind of all played out around this time last year. Uh, Keelan Robinson took a, an unofficial visit down to Alabama at the beginning of June um, for that first camp or that first uh, whichever uh, event that was for Alabama last year. Uh, work, uh, worked out for the staff um, with some of his other teammates at, at St. John's College. Um, and then a few weeks later, you know, he's not a guy that says much, um, but he did say Bama was a school he liked. Uh, he didn't really say much beyond that. Um, and he made a commitment later in June and didn't really do much um, after that. Uh, he was, you know, one of these guys we talked about with Loxley, that as far as guys Loxley leaving affected, he was thought to be the one most because he just wasn't saying anything. Uh, he didn't sign early. Um, so, you know, that's kind of the biggest indicator of, you know, they're, they're wavering. They're probably not going to end up with Alabama. Uh, but he kind of just stuck with it. Charles Huff got hired. Uh, I think him going up there helped helped out and, you know, kind of sitting down talking with him um, during that contact period in January. He took a late visit to USC, but by that point, it was pretty clear that, that Keelan Robinson was sticking with Alabama. He wasn't going to sign elsewhere, and, and kind of the rest is history. So, you know, he's going through that. Uh, he had that offseason surgery this spring on his knee. Uh, he got a little banged up last year during the senior season, but um, by all accounts, I, I think he, he's expected to be ready to go by fall camp. Um, I, I could be wrong on that, but uh, I, I think, you know, once in the program a little bit and getting a little development, Charlie could speak more on this. I think he'll, uh, he'll be a good addition. Trey Sanders, speaking of late in the process, sort of news, there was some borderline panic. It seemed like among Alabama fans that Trey Sanders might end up at the university of Georgia of all places. How real was that? Uh, during the latter stages of, of his recruitment. Hey, it was, yeah, it, it was pretty real. You know, at first, uh, you know, he, he had been turning to Alabama since the summertime, and it, it was going to be a surprise to anybody if he didn't go to Alabama. Uh, but he took that official visit to Georgia late in the process. I, I think it was the second to last weekend before the early signing period. He went with his IMG teammates, uh, Nolan Smith, who, who was committed to Georgia, and Evan Neal, which uh, Bama fans were worried about as well with him being there. Uh, and, you know, the, the Bulldogs kind of made him think. You know, the night before the early signing period, there was – that the consensus belief was he was going to Georgia. And, uh, so, you know, I, I think, you know, that was one of the ones that went into the, until just the minutes leading up to his decision, um, that, you know, he, he ended up choosing Alabama. Um, and, you know, I think uh, another interesting story in this and, and Tim Watts, like I talked about with, uh, with Helms, I, I think Loxley actually helped keep Trey Sanders with Alabama. I, I think him leaving maybe affected, uh, his his mindset with Alabama a little bit more than others uh, as far as Trey Sanders goes. And, and I think Michael Oxley helped kind of ease that um, uncertainty uh, he may have felt and, and was kind of leaning more towards Georgia towards the end. And then by by the morning of the early signing period, you know, he he, he made up his mind on Alabama and signed with the Tide. Wow. How about Locks with a save on his way out the door? You got to like that if you're Nick Saban. Uh, Charlie, tell us about Keelan Robinson Trey Sanders and the opportunity that awaits them, one that Nick Saban has made pretty clear, it seemed like, especially during the spring. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think we've talked about it a lot, is how every time that Nick Saban was asked about the running backs, whether it was Najee Harris and Brian Robinson as the top two, or as the the guys providing depth there, guys like Jerome Ford and Jadarius Townsend, he always mentioned um, how they have freshmen coming in, they're going to be able to contribute. And so I think everybody believes that, you know, Najee and, and Brian are going to be the, the top two running backs. But, you know, we've seen Alabama employ a three running back system. 
And a lot of the times that third back is a freshman. And I think a guy like Trey Sanders, because he is healthy and he is the nation's number one running back, and he does have that confidence saying things like uh, predicting he's going to win the Heisman Trophy trophy as a true freshman, I think he can come in and and be um, someone that has an immediate impact and is that number three running back, if not higher. We've talked about his ceiling and uh, his potential, and I think he's a guy that uh, can can have a lot of success in his first season. So the door has been left open for both of those guys to come in and to uh, you know take reps from the guys that are coming back. Um, you know, I know a guy like Jerome Ford had a pretty good spring, especially in the close scrimmages. Uh, a guy like Chadarius Townsend is someone that can can move around. Uh, they can split out wide in some sets and be like a Kenyon Drake type role. But, um, you know, both of these guys, um, you know, are, are talented guys that can catch the ball in the backfield and, and bring a dynamic to the offense that is much needed. And uh, I think that they're going to have every opportunity to, con- to compete, to contribute and to play as true freshman. Yeah, you wouldn't want to sleep on Jerome Ford just yet, by the way. You know, just a year in the program, skill set pretty similar to Trey Sanders. With a couple of those young guys, it could come down to what each is able to bring to the table off the ball. That means pass protection uh, and and just having a, a really good understanding, uh, not busting assignments in general when it comes to Steve Sarkeesian's offense. Well, guys, I think we covered it. 12 summer enrollees on their way. It's all happening, guys. You're going to have the summer enrollees coming. You're going to have the early enrollees and the rest of the roster back. We talk about fall camp and looking forward to that. But really, right, Charlie, I mean, it starts next week for next year's team. I mean, when you get all these guys together and they start their work with Scott Cochran and their voluntary stuff that they do, the college football season, it essentially starts June 1st these days. Yeah, I mean, Monday they'll all be here. Tomorrow's 100 days until Alabama Duke. Um, you know, just putting together plans for the offseason, it's, it's crazy how – short of a time period you have between now, SEC media days, fall camp. It, it all seems like it's right around the corner. So, yeah, um, <laughs> the off season seems like it's getting shorter and shorter. But it's always good to get to the season, get into that weekly grind and, and that usual schedule. And uh, I know these guys that are getting on campus here in, what, five days? Uh, I think they're all looking forward to it as much as we are. And, of course, one of Hank's favorite times of year, camp season, baby. <laughs> Is it breaking up here soon, Hank? Uh, absolutely. You know, June with this new recruiting calendar, June is the month uh, for summer recruiting. You know, July is mostly a dead period. Um, I, I'm not sure what the new calendar for 2019, 2020 is, but August was a dead period last year. So a little bit of a break on the on the recruiting uh, circuit in July and August. But um, at the same time, you know, the dead period just kind of prohibits in-person contact. There's still plenty happening over the phones and on DMs and all that. So it never really never really dies down in recruiting. There you go. I think we got you covered with Alabama's summer enrollees for the recruiting class of 2019. Thanks to Charlie Potter. Thanks to Hank South, as always, for their great insight into all things Alabama football and Alabama football recruiting. Travis Schreier, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com, thanking you. Join us again very soon for another edition of the Built by Bama Online podcast.